All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Thanks for being here today. And to those listening, thanks for joining us. Today is November 21st, 2023, and this is our second live call for the Bitcoin Consulting Network. Current block height is 817.824. And some people uh, are still willing to accept 37,256 US dollars as an exchange rate to their Bitcoin. Seems crazy to me, but some people, I guess, are willing to still trade for fiat. A uh, reminder that this conversation is going to be uploaded to Bitcoin Stoa as a podcast within 24 hours if you want to re-listen or, um, you know, listen down the road. And yeah, as sort of we each pioneer our own path in the Bitcoin consulting world, I think there's a lot of value in sharing our approaches and learning from one another. So that's really the essence of these calls. Um, as I said before the recording started, being here and engaging with each other is proof of work. And uh, I definitely appreciate everyone who shares stories or perspectives on these calls. So I have a list of people who reached out uh, to speak on the topics today. And so we'll give them priority uh, five to seven minutes. And if you'd like to speak, but you didn't reach out, please write it in the chat and I'll get you up on stage when the time is right. And if you're speaking, please ensure that you're in a quiet space so that we can hear you nice and clearly. So agenda today, got a little bit of an intro for a couple of minutes. Then we're gonna talk about discovery call questions. So how do we go about our discovery calls? What questions do we ask? Um, and sort of what are the objectives that we have on a discovery call? Uh, then we're gonna talk about earning income as a consultant. So different frameworks that we use for billing for our time. And um, we'll finish with 15 minutes talking about the uh, potentially developing a Bitcoin consultant network oath of honor and what that means and maybe different points that could be on there. And then we'll talk about the potential for creating a landing page for the Bitcoin Consultant Network to sort of serve as a directory for everyone within the web of trust as it continues to develop. Um, and as sort of a place where individuals, companies, organizations in future um, can go to and find sort of a, I guess, vetted consultant, someone who um, has been sort of acknowledged by other consultants um, and also a place where we can go to cross refer for work that maybe is beyond our individual scope or um, yeah, collaborate with other consultants on bigger projects. So first point we're gonna talk about is discovery calls. And so discovery calls are basically the first point of contact that we have with uh, prospective clients. And yeah, today is just all about sharing our process to learn from each other and uh, just get better as a network, as a group of people. So first speaker, I believe she's here, Veronica. Um, she wanted to just chat about the notion of setting up a consultancy. So I think maybe not directly related to discovery calls, but I think maybe a good place for us to start off. Um, so Veronica, stage is yours. Go for it. Hey, uh, thanks Caribou, first of all, for organizing all this, um, and Ben for kicking this off. Um, this is great. And yeah, I recently had an idea um, I was starting to work on um, with uh, like a technical person from, from Berlin about a lightning consultancy. Um, brief background to me, I'm uh, in Bitcoin for like six years now. I have a background in math originally, um, and I worked in like different roles in marketing to strategy consulting. The last larger project I was involved in was uh, the pre free cities, free private cities at that time, a uh, project where they had like a physical location 
prospective physical location in West Africa where they wanted to do a larger fundraise. They were looking into how to potentially do that with Bitcoin bonds, for example. There was a larger topic at that time, um, you know, when El Salvador was also about to set up the Bitcoin city and such. And I'm also lecturing at several universities and some private institutions. And um, yeah, since last year, though, I'm kind of in a sabbatical or um, actually kind of an independent researcher with a very, very strong focus on Lightning and all Bitcoin adjacent protocols like ARC, state chains, Liquid, eCash, whatever you name it. Yeah, And I see Lightning as the glue between all that to figure out how can I like future financial system on Bitcoin actually look like? What do we, yeah. And um, in this uh, like research, I also wondered um, because now I think we're we are all seeing that that lighting will not just be like peer-to-peer -peer, um, private people, but I think the large hubs will be, or the larger nodes and everything, a lot of institutions will jump in. So I was thinking about setting up a lightning consultancy, which I thought could comprise of like four steps, it 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 is necessary. So on one hand, to tell um, institutions basically like the the risk reward profile, not just for investing in Bitcoin, but also investing resources like human resources into it, is very very good at the moment because they can have some consultants and and educate themselves on the topic and figure out where they can position themselves strategically in the next years. And if Bitcoin gets big, they are already kind of onboarded or they wait two, three years until a big wave potentially hits them. So um, yeah, that would be kind of my, my selling thing. Two small and medium size or even larger businesses. And the whole thing con consists of like four points. The first one is to actually tell them, educate them. What is Bitcoin? What is Lightning? Um, and also figure out with them what, what could be their role in this ecosystem like, do they want to be an LSP in the future or um, an art service provider or whatever, or just a routing node or set up some hosted infrastructure with green light, for example? Um, yeah, there is tons of opportunities. Do they want to run their own node and, and everything? Yeah, I mean, that further down the road. So education, what is Bitcoin and such? Second point is custody. I would have uh, X, huh? outsource that because I'm, I mean, I can self-custody, but not an institutional grade, um, but to help them figure out how can they hold coins from a technical perspective, but also like regulatory perspective, blah, blah, blah. Third um, pillar would be um, lightning integration to maybe help them actually set up a node and figure out, do they want to have their own infrastructure? Do they have, do they want to host it? Um, somewhere or so or so what are what are the possibilities and then actually not be their service consultant over years but rather teach their in-house um their in-house tech teams dev teams on how to set up this this infrastructure and, and and for example also figure out we have now three or four sdks no from spiral lightspark and uh some more <laughs> and which SDK can be used for what, and so on and so on. Yeah, And basically hold their hand in this technical process. I'm not a dev myself. That's why I would need to work. I'm very, very technical for a non-dev, 
but a non-dev. So I would need someone to actually help me with that part. Um, and then the fourth pillar I would see as experience lightning. You could also do it like they have the company events and uh, and they're having you no know, whatever Christmas party and you could do a lightning beer tap. You could uh, give them some bold cards and then every uh, customer, uh, every of their employees is getting a bold card and they can pay their beer at the Christmas, whatever thing, and um, this, for example, or even um, play with the lightning rewards of um, micro strategy, such stuff to to have um, the the executives and or the employees experience Bitcoin and especially uh, lightning. So that would be the four pillars. But at the moment, I'm like, um, yeah, my potential business partner. He was, yeah, he's currently a bit off into other things also um so yeah i'm i'm kind of like proceeding with that who, who finds that interesting yeah um so that was my idea basically <laughs> yeah questions awesome. awesome thanks for sharing that and i think what you highlight is this notion that um at least in my mind a bitcoin consultant does not necessarily need to be the tech expert resource mm -hmm. on all execution elements. But I think the notion of someone who understands the terrain, and this is a metaphor mm -hmm. I've used in sort of my work in health consulting as well. It's like when someone is standing at the base of a mountain, it's a giant challenge ahead. They don't know where to start. They don't know where the danger is. They don't really know the right path to go on. And there's multiple paths, but having someone that is familiar with the terrain and knows the danger areas yeah. and knows all the different paths um, and the different stops and checkpoints along the way. Having someone that really understands the terrain broadly, I think is the value of having a Bitcoin consultant where they're not doing the work for you or for the company. They're simply making sure that the time and energy an individual or a team is investing in understanding Bitcoin is time well spent, is not being wasted. Um, and yeah, basically giving them sort of the lay of the land and making sure they under they have a make sure they have a compass essentially, knowing the terrain, offering them a compass so that they can navigate their way. So yeah, I think that's really an important part of consulting. Um, unless anyone has any questions, Santosh is going to be next, and and then after Santosh, I'll say a few words um, about just my perspective on a discovery call and sort of the objectives I have. But after that, if anyone wants to chime in, anyone who's doing paid Bitcoin consulting work, um, if you're willing to share, you know, what is the first call with a potential client look like? What are you trying to understand? What questions are you asking? I think that first encounter is a really precious one, in my opinion. And so I'd love to hear what people, uh, people's perspectives and how they go about that call, what their objectives are. So Santosh, if you want to share some thoughts. Thanks, Caribou, for the time, and thanks, everyone, for being here today. Um, so I've spent the past decade working closely with organizations to purchase, implement, and succeed using technology. In the last few years, I've primarily been focused on the sales aspect and held hundreds of discovery calls with prospective customers. So rather than on the Bitcoin lens talk about specific questions we can propose or expose during a discovery call, I wanted to discuss a framework that was pivotal in my sales career and continues to be uh, at the forefront when I have discovery calls. I'm not sure if many of you have heard the term medic. And before you sigh and say, oh, great, not another acronym to remember, um, 
time and time again, I think about Medic every conversation. It's always helped progress my sales cycles in a positive direction. So I did briefly mention Medic in our Telegram group, but I'll elaborate. And so it's M-E-D-D-I-C. The framework I've applied mostly for larger teams and companies, but it also applies for smaller teams or even individual buyers. As long as you take the framework with a grain of salt and are aware you need to apply it depending on the size of the of the prospect that you're dealing with. So M is metric. Um, you're really looking to understand what are they measuring through by adopting the solution. So if we take Bitcoin, for instance, you know, is it inflation that they're trying to beat? Is it uh, immediate custody? What is the metric that they're trying to observe, track, and potentially resolve? E is economic buyer. So this is the individual that controls the money and has keys to the wallet. So the person you're talking to may not be the one actually paying for the solution. So it's very important to understand who's actually paying for it because they are extremely close to the sales cycle since they're releasing the funds. Uh, the D, there's two Ds, decision process and decision criteria. So the process is really trying to understand what their internal process is going to look like to approve this buying, uh, the consulting product service, whatever you're, you're providing. Now, it may sound like a simple, simple externally, but internally, I've seen processes that go up to four internal signatures all the way up to the CFO before the final thumbs up is given. So the decision process can be a lot more elaborate than initial expectations. The criteria, so the third D, we're at M-E-D-D so far. The, third, the second D, sorry, uh, decision criteria is what criteria they're going to be using to base their decision off. So what is the cost going to be? You know, are they cost conscious or do they have a large wallet? Um, are they conscious of the time that it's going to take? Is it a quick implementation? Is it a long implementation? What type of resources are going to be required from their team? So there's going to be quite a variety of criteria that they're going to measure and test your proposal against to make the decision. Now, the most important one out of medic is I, which is identifying pain. Now, we need to be very cognizant of what pain are the solution or the service we're providing going to solve and is the client aware of it. And early in my career, I learned very quickly, there's two types of selling. There's one where the client is aware of the problem and two, when they're not aware of the problem. Now, when they're aware of the problem, they're looking for a solution. You present a solution, sale. When they don't know the problem, you're now looking to make them aware that a problem exists and then present the solution to the problem they didn't even know that exists, which makes it a lot harder. So it's important to identify which bucket this prospect falls under so you can sell accordingly. And the last part of Medic is C, which is champion. This is super important as well because this is the person that's going to be selling internally to the prospect's company when we are not around. So we can sell as much as we possibly can when we're in the room or we're in the conversation, but who is going to sell on our behalf when we're not around? And that's where the champion comes in. If you pick the champion correctly, they will do everything in their power to show our services or our products in the appropriate light to make sure we're chosen as the, as the consultant of choice. Now, how do you implement this? You know, you ask open-ended questions, don't get too bogged down on specifics, but you know, what pain are you encountering? What's your criteria that you typically go through? What's your typical sales uh, approval process internally? Is it a 
one day turnaround? Is it one month turnaround? I've seen sale processes internally require three, four months before all the signatures are given. Now, this framework is sort of just a template to guide you through the first call. You may not have all the answers in the first call, but the priority is really trying to articulate and understand their pain. Because only if you understand the pain and the problem that they're encountering, can you align the solutions and services to address that pain. And I'll leave it at that. Awesome. Thanks for that, Santosh. I think I'm, uh, I'm a lover of frameworks. So um, I think they're, you know, maybe they're not applied one for one, but I think just as a general understanding of how, you know, what are the variables to consider? I think mnemonics like that, like medic um, can be really valuable. So thanks for sharing that. And I, I think, you know, people that are in this group, um, I think there's so much experience that may not be Bitcoin specific, but that is crucial to be ported over from the world of traditional consulting or tech consulting, especially into the world of Bitcoin. So um, thanks for sharing your wisdom, Santosh. Um, so I'm going to share five minutes about you know, sorry, my thoughts can, on, sorry. Can I, can I ask something uh, of Santosh? Yes, go for it. Thank you. Uh, first, um, I, I completely agree with the framework. That's, I, I think it's it's helpful uh, and it's it's sort of industry standard. But uh, have you been successful applying it to Bitcoin? Because my my experience has been, it's often hard for you know people are not aware of like their own pains around Bitcoin. They're not aware of how much you know, they, they needed, et cetera. So I'm interested in, in hearing what your experience has been around this. Yes. So any Bitcoin conversation really falls under the bucket two of selling, which is people have no idea what the pain is. And that gets a lot harder because you almost need to, in the sales world, it's called solution engineering. You need to re-engineer what their thought process and the narrative that they hold true, because you need to almost implant the pain that they're not aware of and you're going through an education process to first make them aware that okay this is the pain that you're encountering make them agree and align that that is the pain that they're encountering and it's likely in the first couple not the first couple but it's likely in the first iteration they're not going to agree immediately because they're either going to refute it or they come around so it really depends on the type of individual you're, you're dealing with but there's no one silver bullet that's going to make them realize, oh, wow, this is the pain. Now, because we're dealing with a monetary solution, talking about inflation, anyone in the world, anywhere on the planet is aware that inflation is occurring only at different rates. So typically for me, bringing up inflation has been a good conversation, uh, has been a good angle to at least implant that pain to for them to recognize, oh, wow, yeah, my groceries are going up. Oh, my costs are going up. Okay, well, what do I do? So that's a good angle when you're dealing with a cash business. So I've that's been amazing when I deal with barbers. Now, anyone that deals with credit cards and card payments, the service fee has been a great entrance into trying to highlight the pain. So a question like, do you know how much your credit card fees are on a monthly basis or a yearly basis? When was the last time you negotiated? Do you even have room to negotiate those fees? And if you have an astute business owner, they should know what those fees are and it should be a pain. 
if it's not a pain, then there's a little bit more education that needs to occur. But I'll pause there. And I, I hope that addressed the it did. Thank you. I, I think it makes uh, perfect sense. When somebody uh, said to me that, you know, you need to go a little sort of higher up the chain to, you know, before you got into Bitcoin, what got you to look at Bitcoin, right? What was the pain that eventually made you turn towards Bitcoin and start there? So what you're saying about inflation and fees, et cetera, fits that bill perfectly. Thank you. No problem. Awesome. Um, so the perspective I'm going to share is coming, you know, just to give context, uh, it's people who are finding me and contacting me specifically because they want to understand more about Bitcoin. So it's not me um, selling them why, you know, the symptom they're experiencing, kind of like in health, right? Like there's a saying where, where the pain is ain't where the problem is. And the idea that where the symptom occurs is very rarely the root cause of why that symptom is occurring, which means, you know, people know the pain point, but they often don't know the actual root cause layers underneath um, the pain point they're experiencing. So um, they're coming to see me because they want to, they have a question about Bitcoin and they've heard I'm the Bitcoin guy. And so my discovery call is usually 30 minutes. It's free. And I have uh, four objectives usually. And um, the firm that I'm sort of building, Finney 21, we begin with a form. So there's seven questions to sort of make sure people understand, sort of uh, make sure people are clear on what they actually want, because I think them having a good idea of what they, what problem they're trying to solve, whether they already own Bitcoin, whether it's personal or business, it gives us some information. And so the discovery call is sort of the second layer of vetting, you know, is this someone who I can help? And is this someone I want to work with? And the way I look at it is um, it's a two-way interview uh, where not only is the client looking to see if I'm the right fit, but I'm also looking to make sure the client is the right fit. And I think in business, being selective, especially with something like consulting work, uh, in my opinion, is good for business. And so I really have four objectives on a discovery call. What does this client need and can I help them? Is this something, do they, are they seeking a solution to a problem that I actually have the competency to help them solve? That's number one. Number two, where is this person currently at? You know, this notion of meeting people where they are is I think a, a great principle, um, but it then leads to the problem of, okay, well, how do I find out where this person is and what does that even mean? So where's the person currently at? What step are they at? Um, are they even on the right set of stairs? Because oftentimes people will come to me um, to learn more about Bitcoin. And my sort of first step is actually to understand like, what do you think Bitcoin is and why do you care about it? Um, because half the time, what they actually think it is, uh, is a misconception. And the problem they're looking to solve is not actually, you know, something, you know, if someone just wants to get rich because they heard Bitcoin can make them rich, then it's not really the kind of person that I want to work with. So it's where are they currently at? Um, and you know, where do they want to go? That's another part of it. Um, the third one is, are they ready to do the work is, you know, I only want to work with people who are ready to commit at least an hour a week to studying Bitcoin. Um, because I think that that is like the bare minimum requirement for someone who really wants to move forward along their Bitcoin journey. If they're not willing to commit one hour a week to studying, reading, learning from resources that I send them, they're not really a good fit for the kind of person I want to work with. Uh, and then the fourth one, and this is important from a business standpoint is, can they actually pay for my time? Um, I want to work with people who value my time and expertise. And so making sure people 
uh, are actually in a position to want to put um, you know time, energy, and money towards working with me, I think is really important. And maybe that's you know something that I, I actually didn't consider heavily initially. Uh, and sometimes I would just end up helping people and sending them resources. And if you do that at scale and you're not being compensated for your energy, you're not really able to continue doing that. So what does this client need and how, and can I actually help them? Is this within my circle of competence? Number two, where's the person currently at and where do they want to go? Um, number three, are they ready to do the work? And number four, can they pay me for my time? And so, yeah, I think the discovery call is a really important one because not only is it my chance to make a first impression, if I'm representing Bitcoin, this might be their first sort of impression of someone who is actually, um, working in the Bitcoin space. And so it's almost, it's partially Bitcoin's first impression. And so I think it's a precious moment. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with the art of asking good questions and really, you know, I don't know if a discovery call is really necessarily the place I really seek to deeply understand the person. I think it's just to make sure, are they contacting me for the right reasons? Is this someone I want to work with? And then the follow-up call is really to go deep in terms of understanding exactly what problem are they seeking to solve? Um, and how fast do they want to get there? Because there's, you know, different levels of intensity that caters to different people. But, uh, yeah, those are my thoughts on the discovery call. So if anyone, uh, has any thoughts to share or cheat codes about how they run a discovery call, uh, who's been doing Bitcoin consulting work or even consulting work in general, um, feel free to, uh, unmute and share. Hi, Caribou. Chris from Bridge to Bitcoin. If no one else is going to jump in, I'll I'll add a, a couple of words. Go for it. Thanks, Caribou. Um, I just want to align with what you were saying, Caribou, and also a student of Bitcoin with regards to... I'll start with student of Bitcoin in terms of um, pain points. Um, I completely agree with finding pain points that your client is aware of is far easier if you're trying to make them aware of a pain, pain point, it's a far more difficult sell. Um, all our clients are, are aware of the pain points that they have. So those who aren't aware of what we do at Bridge to Bitcoin, we essentially onboard merchants to accept Bitcoin payments. Um, and the pain point that we're addressing is revenue. So we're driving, we're actually a marketing consultancy. So we're driving additional footfall and additional revenue to those businesses. So... All businesses are aware of that. If we go down or if we attempt to go down the pain point of um, other, well, let's say other other pain points like inflation, business, business owners often, that, that's quite far down the list of priorities. Um, so, yeah, I just want to completely agree with student of Bitcoin with regards to far easier to try and solve pain points that the client's aware of. And um, with regards to what you were saying, Caribou, um, in terms of a discovery call, I completely agree as well in terms of it's a two-way conversation, but also it's really important from our perspective that when we at Bridge to Bitcoin have that first call, um, the impression, and this this is, I'm sure, teaching you all to suck eggs, but that, that first impression is so important. Um, Bitcoin doesn't have a marketing department, so we're essentially the marketing department. And it's really important from my perspective that we come across as bringing all the receipts, 
making sure that we're we're professional um, rather than amateurs who are sort of swimming around trying to trying to patch things together um so i'm really fortunate in terms of the team that i've got who work with me so i think james james is on the call as well on this call as well so he's he brings with him a whole wealth of experience and from my perspective it's really important because bitcoin's so new we should leverage our fiat experience, if you like, um, that relevant fiat experience that we bring to the Bitcoin space. So normally in our, our discovery calls, normally start off with an introduction about ourselves and our relevant experience that we're bringing to this new consultancy space that we, we, we've we set up. Um, so it sort of sets the stage and sets the scene. And that's really important because it, it the, the starting point is one, where we have a very high bar already and, and the client can see that they can see the experience that we've we've brought in the fiat world and we also talk about the experience uh, or the experiences that we've had onboarding merchants so setting that bar high is really important so um just wanted to add that thanks caribou thanks student of bitcoin thanks for that christopher um Another thing I think is important on discovery calls back to making sure that, you know, this prospective client is a good fit to work with you and everyone's going to have their own criteria. But I know one for me that's very important is to be extremely clear with them, um, basically to, you know, along the lines of that metaphor of climbing a mountain, um, I can't climb the mountain for you. Something I'll often kind of let them know, like, I can't do the work for you. I can't do the learning. I can't, um, you know, I can make sure that you're moving in the right direction and that you're um, sort of protecting yourself from going, um, being led astray. But I think it's very important uh, in terms of just setting a clear expectation that there is a, um, there needs to be a strong motivation to learn and a desire and a curiosity to want to really understand, to experiment, to tinker, um, and to try different things. Because I think, especially in health, people love to think that someone else is going to solve their problem, right? They have knee pain. They go see, they think that they can go see someone that person's going to fix their knee pain. Um, you know, someone's experiencing firsthand the pain of inflation and they're curious about Bitcoin. They think they can just go to someone and that person is going to tell them everything they need to know. And I think that's kind of counter to the ethos of Bitcoin, which is, um, don't trust verify. And I actually think in consulting, it's kind of like trust, but verify. Um, and once you've built that trust with someone, you know, I'm thinking of one client where I helped him just kind of clean up his self-custody strategy. He always comes back to me now that I have a trust bond with him for anything he needs regarding Bitcoin. And so I think, yeah, just for me, it's really important to only, which means that maybe half the people who uh, contact me, um, I might not, not end up working with, right? The, the um, interaction might end with me saying, well, here's a couple of great resources to kind of bring you down the next step let me know if and when you need help. And I think there's something very powerful to the notion of if you're sensing someone's not ready or isn't quite to a readiness point where they're willing to do the work, um, giving them some resources and making sure that they have sort of the next steps in their learning journey. And then basically saying, if and when you need help, let me know. If you have a specific thing you're trying to accomplish, let me know. And in my experience, um, the patience that comes with that, with not trying to get some sort of paid work right away and making sure someone is, you know, closer to the ready state to really want to go in, um, and, you know, make change, make real changes and like actually, um, sort of execute some sort of plan, uh, really pays off in the end because they end up coming back to you if you've given them good resources and if you've just sort of been patient. So 
yeah, I think a discovery call really for me is all about making a good impression on them, letting them know what I can provide, and then really getting an understanding of them and whether they're ready to sort of, um, you know, take the next step and actually work with someone and uh, pay me for my time and energy in helping them sort of navigate their way. Um, anyone else have anything to add on the topic of discovery calls, good questions to ask, things they've learned, um, things they've learned not to do on discovery calls. Sometimes that's just as important as what to do. I have a couple of thoughts, but I see Jason is also unmuted. I don't know if he wants to say something. Yeah, go for a Bitcoin coach. And then Jason, if you want to chat after, go for it as well. All right. Um, things not to do on a discovery call. Uh, don't try to explain or teach or, you know, I think it's it's the, the medic uh, framework. It's also helpful to, to think of yourself as a doctor and you're in the discovery call, as you said, to see whether there's a good fit between between you and the potential client. It is not necessarily the time to start explaining you know, anything about Bitcoin. It's just, it's more of a introductory thing because otherwise you start, it's easy to start giving off uh, like free consulting and, and uh, well, in my experience, that does not uh, work out in favor of anybody. So that's as far as what my experience of what not to do. And uh, a question for you in terms of what you're describing or of how you handle your process. How do you handle pricing? Like, do you, do you already have set prices that you discuss during the call? If somebody comes back with, they already worked with you and then they need to, you know, up their game in terms of self self custody, etc. Um, how do you how do you manage pricing? Yeah, that's a good question. And that was actually the next topic for us to um, just kind of riff on and share experiences about, which is earning income as a consultant. Um, you know, what are different ways that we do that? And uh, to date, I've just kind of done it on a case by case basis based on time. So, you know, I've seen consultants charge uh, in different ways. Uh, some people bill for their time, so they pick an hourly rate. And then, and I think one thing with consulting, which is knowledge work, is that you actually have to have the capacity to do deep work and to focus, which I think is focus might be the rarest, one of the rarest things today in the world of distraction. And, you know, if you're charging a client for an hour's worth of work, uh, the you know, the understanding there is to do that with integrity, you actually have to be able to focus and engage in deep work for 60 straight minutes to actually build them for that hour, um, you know, with integrity. So you can bill for your time, you can bill for results, right? So I did this with one client where I was like, okay, we're going to go from this sort of disconnected, messy custody solution that you've kind of patched together over time. And we're going to bring this into a multi-sig with multiple devices and we're going to get your wife to understand the basics of something happened to you um she was she would be able to take over and contact me and i could help her and, but she has a base understanding and for that i basically said okay for this it's going to take me about this much time we're going to have three or four calls um and i think i charged them like 1.2 million sets for that which um sort of worked out to about five hours of work at 100 bucks an hour um so you can bill for time for results for a specific objective you're trying to reach, which means that if it takes you longer to achieve that objective, 
uh, you're making less per hour, but you know, it, it essentially allows you to create a sort of a, a quote, I guess, saying when we, in order to get you here, this is what I'm going to charge and I'm going to make sure we get there. Um, and oftentimes I just ask for, I, I set the SAT rate when we start the project. And then when it's completed, that's when they pay me. Um, and obviously there's a trust bond you have to have with the client there to make sure that they're, you know, they're actually going to pay you. Um, and sometimes what they end up paying in terms of the fiat amount at the end of the project ends up being much more. But I think if you agree on the SAT rate at the start, uh, I've found good results for that. Um, another model I've heard consultants use is billing as a percentage of SATs under guidance. So essentially, if you have a long-term relationship with someone or a business and they're gradually stacking SATs and you're essentially their go-to consultant for if they have any issues or if they need to upgrade their self-custody or have questions on the fly, um, you know, like 1% of the, of SATs under guidance is another model that I've seen. Um, and at Finney 21, which is the consult Bitcoin consulting firm I'm building, you know, one idea we're throwing around, which, uh, I'm actually pretty, uh, I, I like it right now. And I'd love to hear people's thoughts was the notion of pegging an hourly rate, um, which was pegged in September, 2023 of 121 us dollars. So essentially we took the, the exchange rate of 121 us dollars per hour in September, 23, which actually ended up being 420,000 sats and set that as our hourly billing rate. And so, um, for two reasons, number one is as fiat continues to kind of decline and debase effectively, our services will become more um, expensive in fiat terms, but they will also become more in demand. That's the theory, at least. Uh, I think 420,000 SAS today is 157 US dollars, but it's also a good illustration to basically say in September, 2023, um, we pegged our hourly rate, our hourly billing rate at 121 US dollars. And that ended up being, you know, X amount of SATs. And so it kind of, it actually serves as an example to clients that, you know, essentially fiat is continuing to decline. And if you actually bill based on an honest ledger and you set your fee rate at a certain point in time, as the demand for your services goes up, so does the fiat price. So to me, that kind of made sense, but you know, the secondary part of that is, well, if Bitcoin does its thing, the services might just be unaffordable. So that was sort of, that's sort of one idea we're throwing around, but I think in general, the idea of really being very particular with who we work with and, you know, essentially going from discovery call to um, sort of an introductory call for an hour, really understanding what they want, then sending them a proposal for services um, and an estimated amount of uh, work in terms of time that that's going to entail. And then having them essentially put down a retainer for those hours and then get a monthly billing report for the amount of hours that have been done in terms of work. That's sort of the way we're doing it right now. But I think, I think like anything, there's no best way of doing it. Uh, I do a lot of work value for value. I basically just say, I'll help you with this and whatever you find it's worth to you, you can send me. Um, and I guess the last thing to mention is that Finney 21, we're only operating on a Bitcoin standard. So we're not going to do any fiat billing or use any fiat rails, which means that we can only work with clients who either hold Bitcoin or are going to acquire Bitcoin. And that might limit the amount of people we're working with. Um, but I think that's okay. I'm low time preference with this. So um, I'm open to anyone's thoughts in terms of how they've charged for Bitcoin consulting work in the past or any ideas of how to do that in future.
I'll just mention something that Ben wrote. He says his voice is a bit unusable right now. Uh, on the topic of charging denominated in sats, I also do so. And for similar reasons to Caribou's explanation, I've adjusted my price over the years though. Otherwise it would be already ridiculous. So yeah, I think in theory, um, it is kind of like a nice idea where it's almost like an automatic adjuster. It's like a difficulty adjustment, right? As fiat debases, the need for Bitcoin consulting work will rise and therefore the price in fiat dollars will adjust accordingly. But uh, I don't think the world is really ready for uh, how quickly the honest ledger is gonna reprice everything. And so, yeah, like you said, Ben, there's probably a little bit of readjustment needed there, but I think the spirit of it is good. And I also just like that it's an illustration to show how quickly fiat is debasing. Like if, if two months ago, uh, 420,000 sats was 120, $121 an hour, which is actually a fairly reasonable consulting rate for, you know, experienced consultants, I think. Um, then you really get to see firsthand, like that's worth a lot more now, not for any other reason, apart from the fact that fiat is just continuing to decline. And so I think that actually highlights the urgency of switching over to the honest ledger because it's the only unit of account that gives you true pricing, um, in the world right now. Thanks for that, Ben. To just quickly chime in about pricing models from my uh, fiat days. One way a lot of institutions think about pricing is taking a cut out of the savings or the revenue gain from the services. So an illustration of this in the Bitcoin world would be, okay, I'm helping you implement to adopt Bitcoin as a form of payment. Okay, well, right now your fees that you pay towards credit cards cost X. Well, my service fee is going to be 2% of your annual savings. So that's one option in the way that we price services is taking a percentage of the savings or the revenue gain that that prospect could potentially have. And to the note of fiat um, deterioration, I've been in Egypt the last six weeks. And when I got here, I found out very quickly that there is a bank rate for a US dollar to an Egyptian pound, and there is a black market rate, which is the street rate. So the bank rate is $1 is 31 Egyptian pounds. The street rate when I first got here was 37 Egyptian pounds. In seven weeks or six to seven weeks, that rate is now 52 US dollars. So it is deteriorating, deteriorating very quickly in some parts of the world. And I'm glad we're here together to help these businesses out and give them a lifeboat. Yeah, that's really shocking. It really, you know, I heard someone say this a while back. It's like they, we often look at Lebanon or Turkey or Venezuela or Argentina as just like fundamentally different than places like Canada, Canada or the United States in terms of their currency debasement. When in reality, they're just at a different point on the curve, which all fiat currencies eventually inevitably reach. So it is kind of, it is kind of freaky, um, but also the closure that you can get by just understanding there is a way to opt out and it's available to everyone uh, is a pretty magical thing. And I think I often sort of think that as, as Bitcoin consultants, right, we are kind of people who are coming from the future uh, in a world where people most were coming from the future back into the previous world where most people don't have a fundamental understanding of 
how scarce money is going to change the world and how uh, dangerous and mathematically programmed to get worse and worse fiat money actually is. And so sometimes I find it difficult to or challenging to, to really talk to people and try to articulate these concepts. Um, but I think when individuals or businesses hit the threshold where they really start to see it for what it is, where they really start to, you know, almost move back to first principles and start to actually look at the world through the lens of Bitcoin, they start to get this accelerating urgency. And so, you know, it's almost like a, a little bit of work you might do for someone initially to get them to take their next big step, uh, I think can quickly result in a lot more work from that individual um, personally, once they realize how risky the fiat system is. And then for me, one of my clients then engaged on sort of the next step for him was his business. He's like, well, on a personal level, I understand why keeping my savings in fiat is terrible for my family's wealth. And once he really deeply understood that, he was like, well, why am I still doing this for my business? Number one, can I legally actually do this for my business? And once he got the green light, it was like, okay, well, how do I actually design this? How do I make it so that, you know, um, my family can take over the inheritance? Like, do I need, if, you know, he had to get his wife listed as a director for his company. If something happened to him, then um, other directors would have ownership over the keys or control over the keys. So there were a lot of implications that he needed help understanding. And sometimes it wasn't actually me giving him necessarily advice. It was asking him, it was making sure he was asking himself the right questions because my brain's already thinking in a Bitcoin world. And so making sure people are asking the right questions to really evaluate what the next step is or why this next step is important. Um, for him, that was, that was the important part. And he just, you know, he would just schedule an hour call. He would pay me for an hour of my time. And I would send him either the recording of the call or some notes that I took on the call. And for him, that was valuable enough to justify paying me for my time and energy. So, yeah, I think I guess what I'm trying to get at there is don't underestimate how much more work can be created from just a small bit of work with an individual at the start, because as they progress through their sort of stages of understanding, they end up having a much higher need for work. And for example, that same client had me draft up a letter to his trades. So he's a general contractor. He had me draft up a letter to trades and to clients, basically saying we now for trades, it was we now offer three forms of payment, traditional legacy banking um, through like, you know, checks, cash and Bitcoin uh, and sort of kind of wrote in there. This is why we offer that. And these are the discounts we offer. Um, you know, if you if you choose to get paid in these different ways, because they're savings to us. And then the same letter to clients, it's like you can either pay us in um, like with check or wire transfer, you can pay us with cash or you can pay us with Bitcoin. Um, and there might not be very many clients or trades that actually choose that option. But just the fact that they, once they read that letter, that one page letter, they can't unread it. And the more financial pain they experience, maybe the more open they become to that, because at the end of that letter basically said we've chosen to save our um, our sort of company treasury in Bitcoin in order to protect ourselves from inflation, from money printing. And just reading that line might be something totally novel to people reading it for the first time. And so it kind of creates this spider web where it takes a while for these ripples to actually sink into people's psyche. But after a period of time, you know, there might be some trades or clients that then want to reach out and say, oh, what's this, what is this thing about this Bitcoin thing? And if, if he refers those people um, to me or to Finney 21, we actually have like a referral system in place where any billings we make from referrals, we send um, 
2.1% of any billings we make to the person who referred us. And that's basically just a thank you um, for sending us more work. Um, so that's another sort of element of the framework is some sort of referral. And we had talked about that in, uh, in, I think it was in one of Ben's initial messages, the idea of referring people to each other and either having a commission or a referral bonus or whatever it is. I don't know what structure that takes and maybe it's uh, case by case done individually, but I think just the notion of there's a lot of value in being able to send someone to a consultant who you know knows what they're talking about and you know will put someone in good hands. And so I think along with sort of reputational credibility that we build comes more work. Although, you know, it's going to take a bit of time for this to catch on. But I think the fact that we're so early and we're having these conversations, um, you know, at this point in time puts us in a good position to be able to, um, you know, serve a lot of people when when the tidal wave comes, because I think it will come eventually. I don't know when, but I'll pause there if anyone else wants to speak. Go for it, Christopher. Thanks, Caribou. I just uh, wanted to point out that uh, Ben Deval dropped a uh, message in the chat. So um, I'll, I'll put my hand up to read that out so that those who are listening to the podcast um, get to hear or see that as well. So he's written, as mentioned on Telegram, my voice is a bit unusable right now. On the topic of charging denominations and sats, I also do so. And for similar reasons to Caribou's explanation, I've adjusted my price over the years, though as otherwise it would be already ridiculous. Um, so apologies for being an echo chamber myself, um, but I also, or we also do the same in one of our other Bitcoin businesses. So we also, uh, I'm one of the directors of a business called Laser Eyes Cards, which is a, um, we manufacture contactless Bitcoin debit cards uh, that light up when you tap and pay and we all we we, we don't have a, a fiat bank account we charge in bitcoin or charge in sats and that's exactly what's happening with the prices of our cards they are going down over time um i think it's it's a beautiful thing to see um the deflationary effect that bitcoin is having on prices and i think it's also a really uh, fantastic example to those who we are bringing into space when we can point out what's happening with those actual re real use cases so for instance yourselves caribou uh, student of bitcoin bendaval you can point out how your prices have effectively gone down over time albeit in bitcoin um which is playing along with, I'm a big fan of Jeff Booth in terms of he talks a lot and writes a lot about the deflationary aspect of Bitcoin. Um, so yeah, apologies for being an echo chamber, um, but we are, we do that as well. The, and at Laser Eyes Cards, the deflationary effect is a fantastic thing to see. Cheers, Garibu. Yeah, thanks, Christopher. I, I had read that earlier, but I think it actually deserves being read twice because it's a good point. Um, and oh, po yeah. apologies, Caribou. I stepped away just to deal with my children and came back. So apologies for that. Now, nah, all good, all good. And yeah, that was that's sort of the one. Like I said, in theory, it's nice to be able to peg an hourly rate in Sats uh, at a certain point in time to illustrate just how how many more fiat units one has to use in order to um, over time in order to pay for a, a fixed Sat price for something. 
But like Ben said, it ends up being a little bit ridiculous after a long enough period of time. So readjusting intermittently uh, is probably a good idea. Um, unless anyone has anything else to say about the way they're charging for their time or the way that they're earning income as a consultant, we can kind of move on to the next topic, which is the oath of honor. So I'll give it a sec. Matt, go for it. Hey, uh, I just had a quick question. So you mentioned before you were working with someone to implement bitcoin into their business say you start they, they start moving their funds over and then they encounter a problem or there's an there's an error is made and they actually end up losing some bitcoin do they ever then or is there the potential for them to come and point the finger at you and say i've lost this money because of you and do you have like waivers in place to reduce the chance of uh, this occurring? Yeah, that's a good question. And initially, when we first um, sort of started having conversations, you know, my I was very clear with him, basically saying, "I'm not going to set up your multi-sig, but I am gonna I am gonna be there to be able to do your practice multi-sig and to kind of be on the phone when you're doing a send and a receive and a backup." Uh, and I was very explicit at the start saying, there's no bailout. You know, I have a really unique relationship with this person. So it's probably more of an exception than the rule. And I don't know if that's scalable on a business side, especially when you're dealing with bigger organizations. So I haven't yet gotten to the point where I've needed to kind of look into the legal element of waivers, et cetera. But I think one of the big ways that I've essentially clarified or cleared the air at the beginning is basically just saying, I am here as a resource. You're you know, you're accepting full responsibility for your actions and what you're doing. You're the only one who's going to be moving your Bitcoin, backing up your Bitcoin, writing down your seed phrases. And if you make an error, the sort of danger, the benefit of taking full responsibility is that no one can take this money from you and no one can fuck with your money. But the flip side of that, you know, the, the cost of freedom is responsibility. I'm always very explicit saying, if you make an error, there's no going back. And so we always do uh, sort of like a test setup and a small send receive. And, you know, if, if they have any anxiety or concerns over screwing up, it's usually because they just haven't looked deeply enough or spent enough time learning about it or doing enough uh, experiential testing of making sure they're super comfortable with it. So yeah, that's a really good question, Matt. And I think probably in future, there's going to need to be a consideration for that, especially for bigger companies um, that we you know, hopefully inevitably end up working with. Uh, and we're going to have a legal person at Finney 21 as well um, so that they can weigh in on sort of the legal element of liability and waivers. But I think in general, though, um, and this has been something that sort of come from, you know, I come from the world of health where liability is a giant variable. And, you know, a lot of times when you're telling people what to do, uh, you're liable for something going wrong based on the actions that they do, which you told them to do. Whereas if all you're doing is sharing your experience, pointing to resources and sort of guiding them to find their way, not actually telling them where to go. There's a difference between saying, pointing somewhere and saying, go there versus saying, well, you got to find your own way and walk the walk yourself. But I've gone there and it was terrible. You know, I went into, you know, I got greedy and wanted yield on my Bitcoin or I went into shit coins and it was not good. And so I would recommend avoiding there. This is where I went. And this, these are the resources I looked at. And a lot of what I do is just curate resources to kind of bring people along the way. 
but really reinforcing that they're taking full responsibility and ownership for their funds. They're the only ones to ever move their funds to create the wallets. Um, I think that to me, and I don't know if that's enough, it's not going to be enough in the end uh, for bigger projects, but yeah, that's a good question. So until now, it hasn't been really a consideration, but I really have to double click on the idea that the individual is doing all of the um, sort of execution and implementation and yeah, only working with people who understand that they're taking full ownership and responsibility. I'm more there as a guide to share my experience and point them in the right direction, but not to tell them exactly what to do. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, I think it did. Uh, but then, and then there would be a difference between an individual and a company who is uh, really relying on you. You're you're the consultant. They're coming to you to say, "Hey, we need." we want to implement this, this is, and you'd say to them, well, this is how you do it. But uh, yeah, like you said, if you're dealing with bigger funds, um, that could, you would need something in place, I think. Yeah, I agree. And the business I worked with, it was basically a family business. So there was, um, the owner of the business was also the CEO and the director and was essentially the person I had helped set up his family um, sort of situation. So the, the actual setup for the business versus his family, although they were, you know, the business funds were registered on their balance sheet. Um, the, the setup fundamentally wasn't that different. Um, but you're right. Yeah, I think when you're dealing with when you're eventually dealing with a CFO or a board of directors, you're really just there as a resource for them to pluck information from. Um, and I think, you know, for me, I don't intend to ever create a wallet um, or, or actually put in place a setup. It's more just nudging them to, and it's not even telling them what to do necessarily. It's just giving them a really clear picture of the trade-offs that they can make with different custody setups. So it's not, you know, the end decision of what custody strategy they end up doing is totally, uh, up to them. And I think that's the way I would always like to keep it. Even with a larger company, it's really just, okay, well, here are all the considerations and trade-offs to really understand in order to make the best choice for you, your company, your investors, whatever the case might be. Um, and yeah, no doubt the complexity level goes up quite a bit when you have a bigger company or corporation. And yeah, I don't know how I'm going to, uh, I don't know how we'll deal with that yet, but I think these are early days. And um, yeah, as long as we're asking ourselves good questions and thinking through them um, of, of how we kind of, because this is kind of like new territory, right? So part of me, thinks that Bitcoin transcends, you know, traditional law, but there is a, an inescapable element that with businesses registered in the fiat world, there's going to be fiat world constraints, legal constraints. So yeah, maybe that's a call that we have eventually is just what are the legal implications of consulting work? Um, and, you know, is there anyone in this Bitcoin consulting network that um, specialize in the legal element of this. Like I said, we're gonna be looking for a consultant for Finney 21 that, that, is, um, that the legal world is their wheelhouse and who also has a specific interest in Bitcoin. So when we do find that person, I look forward to, to having them on this call and maybe unpacking some of those um, considerations. So Tim had a question in the chat. What conversations have you had with lawyers regarding this and the not financial advice? Um, I haven't really had, 
had any actually. I haven't had the need to. Um, I haven't done any projects big enough to really warrant that. And I think, you know, just like in the health world, I kind of let people know this is not health advice. This is essentially just food for thought. Um, me sharing my experience and then having the individual take from that and essentially do their own experiments and find their own path. I think I'm trying to really mimic the same approach in the Bitcoin world. Um, but the language being used to really convey that is probably going ha to have to be very carefully chosen, I would imagine. So. For what it's worth, in, in my own practice, I always, like the first conversation is, I'm not a financial advisor. This is not financial advice. You know, this is for education and same thing in my emails. Um, I, I think it'd be helpful if, if we can find like the proper legal language to make sure that we have at least basic um, coverage against that, that sort of thing. Um, I, I, this is David. I, I would add to that also is that, um, I mean, it really is going to depend on the size of the client and, and the, the amount you're, you're what we're talking about in terms of the Bitcoin uh, amount. But I think it's also for the purpose of this group too. This group is to say, if we're going to be speaking with a business and that business is going to rely on our advice for diversification into Bitcoin or maybe going whole, all in on Bitcoin, um, we're essentially talking financial advice. So let's find some people and make a category of this group to say these people are qualified to provide that financial advice. Um, I mean, of course, I think of myself that way and I'm sure there's others in this group who can say this is absolutely financial advice and I stand behind it. Um, that, that's all. So I, I'm, I'm looking to this group as kind of that, that hedge to the legal aspect of financial advice. I guess my one question there, um, again, I'll make reference to the health world. It's like, if you have the old world where there are experts that are there that are in charge of your health, and then the new world where the individual must take full responsibility and ownership for their well-being and the decisions they make, I often find that the quote-unquote experts of the old world don't actually have a skill set that has much value or um, that really is very productive in the new world, right? And my concern is that the certified um, financial advisors who are experts and deeply understand the nature of financial advice, offering financial advice in the fiat world, um, you know, number one, they're not incentivized to learn about Bitcoin. Number two, I don't know if a whole lot of their, the legacy fiat understanding of the financial system is as applicable in the sort of new world where the individual must take full responsibility. Um, not to say that that person is not going to need some help to kind of guide them along the way to make sure they don't get lost or don't get uh, off the path and to just make sure that they're on the right, um, the right mountain, right? Like, I think a lot of people can get easily get distracted by the crypto mountain uh, and lose sight of the Bitcoin mountain. So, yeah, I think a consultant in the new world, it's like in the new world on the honest ledger underlined by Bitcoin, how much value does a legacy financial expert have to offer? And is their bias through their training in the financials, the legacy financial system actually going to be an impediment or roadblock 
um, to being able to offer productive advice in the Bitcoin world? I guess that's my question. It's like if we if we consult, it's almost like we're working to pave a new way, uh, a, a sort of new path in the new world, which is in direct conflict to the old world and to ask old world experts um, for guidance or help. I don't know how applicable it is. Any any thoughts on that? You can't well, change I, a broken I, system from within the system, Jeff Booth. And and there's the matter I, I, of jurisdiction, I, right? Like I I've, I've had clients from Mexico, the U.S., and Europe. So even if you're a financial advisor in one of those jurisdictions, you're probably not licensed in all of them. There's definitely a jurisdiction. Uh, I thought here, you don't want to hold yourself out as a financial advisor in a, in a place which you're not legally going to have any uh, standing. Um, that said, and going back to Caribou's uh, thoughts here, is you're, you're absolutely right. The legacy financial system is incentivized uh, to keep people toward fiat, uh, to, to kind of separate the owners of wealth from their money over the longer run. The idea of this consulting network to me is and uh, with regards to the, the kind of the financial perspective is the value add uh, of is another value add of this group is that people are coming in with the experience and the knowledge the people inside the group are coming in with the experience and knowledge uh, of the financial system and its flaws and, and understand bitcoin at a, at a level that can ideally be shared with people who are coming in and seeking to, that knowledge uh, of how to get out of this broken fiat system. So yeah, your, your, your point on the new world versus the old world is absolutely correct. And my, my, my view on this, uh, our consultant network is to bring people who have managed to get out of the old world and operate in the new world from a perspective of, quote, financial advice. Um, unquote. The um, the hardest part I always encounter is, is when I'm talking to people about Bitcoin is that is that investment hurdle. Oh, it's a, it's an investment. It's an investment. It's an investment. But they, they don't even understand what they're saying when they say it's an investment when they talk about Bitcoin. Um, really breaking their their minds from the old concept of investing in Bitcoin as a dollar return item. Uh, and really having them see from a different lens uh, of Bitcoin as a, a value proposition, as holding value through time is, is a big hurdle. But once they come through, then we're no longer really talking about investment advice, right? What we're really talking is how do they hold value over time as when it's not with all the great attributes that Bitcoin has. We're not talking about putting Bitcoin into other businesses. We're not talking about putting Bitcoin into other uh, return opportunities. What we're really talking about is how do we get people onto a onto a framework, a, a platform, whatever you want to call it, of sound money. So always talking about Bitcoin as returns or investment opportunities, to me, it, it takes away uh, the value proposition that we're bringing to clients. I'll, I'll leave it with that. Yeah, and Tim, to your to your point of you know consulting lawyers about the not financial advice sort of statement, like I blatantly tell people like buy Bitcoin, get off fiat. That is financial advice. It's maybe the best financial advice you're never going to get from a financial advisor. Like I just 
I really just don't care. And could that bite me in the ass? Potentially, maybe. Um, do I care? No, because that's, you know, I've, I've just gone deep enough to really understand with full conviction and confidence that that is sound financial advice. Um, and yeah, I think I, th I often go back to sort of thinking of you can only bring someone as far as you've gone. And I think that's a, that's sort of a saying from the world of psychedelics. Um, but I think it holds really true in Bitcoin, where the only way, in my opinion, the only way as a consultant that I can help someone else navigate a path is if I've gone down that path before. And ideally, I've gone down that path back and forth many times, know the terrain deeply, have maybe guided other people on that path and seen sort of where they typically trip up or the common errors that are made. And I think, I think that knowledge has value. Now in the old world, it might not have a whole lot of value right now because very few people even understand that that path is worth taking, let alone the amount of time and energy that's required to truly take it without screwing things up. But I think over time, if we zoom out five years, and we really look at the amount of exponential pain the fiat system is going to induce and the um, increasing state of readiness for individuals or businesses to be more open-minded to the topic of Bitcoin. I think the notion of having spent a lot of time in the territory, learning deeply, having a learning practice and having a consistent study of Bitcoin and you know all the different facets that we choose to kind of specialize or understand deeply, I think the relationship we form with people will probably begin as just giving them resources that they can follow, right? Like putting little breadcrumbs on the path and saying, yeah, you know, based on where you're at, if I remember where I was um, at that point and what I knew and what the next resource for me was best, here's this resource, this book, this video, go there. Let me know if you have questions, if you want to have a conversation. And I think there's actually a lot of that that needs to be done before someone is actually willing to pay for your time and energy to help them, you know, um, to nudge them along to do the hard thing, right? Like um, this client that I worked with who was setting up a family multi-sig, he knew what multi-sig was. He knew that that was a better setup than his single sig custody strategy for a decent amount of his family wealth, but he never actually had anyone hold him accountable to doing the hard work. And until I laid out um, a plan, the, the biggest thing he lacked was clarity. I didn't really tell him what to do or like how to set up his multi-sig. I basically said, okay, here's five steps we're going to do in order to get you set up. We're going to get some hardware. You're going to watch these videos. You're going to set up a test multi-sig. You're going to do a send, receive, and restore it um, from, from kind of your wallet configuration files. And then when you're done all that, then we have another call and you let me know where the friction points were if you were able to do it or if you have any questions. And it actually took two or three times for us to do it because, but, but I was there as someone who could nudge him along. And so it wasn't that I did it for him, but I was the person there to hold him accountable to get to the, to do the hard thing and get the result he knew he wanted, but didn't have the clarity to do, um, on his own. And so it's very similar to, it's so similar to health consulting where like, you're not, you cannot make someone healthy. Therefore, why would someone pay you? Well, it's to give them the clarity of knowing what to do, how to go about it and to be there to witness them and hold them accountable to doing the hard thing they want to do. And it's really just helping someone do what they want to do um, and making sure they have the right resources to do it confidently. So it is 
this is like really uncharted territory. You know, you have people like Ben who are just OGs and been doing this for a, you know, a long time. But in the grand scheme of things, we're still kind of pioneering this new world of work of Bitcoin consulting and what that means and how we're each going to choose to do it individually. And I think the value of these calls is the notion that as a community, if we share experiences and stories and the way we're going about doing things, we're all going to be able to level up our, um, our skill set together. And the secondary part is that these calls literally are proof of work so that if someone does choose to listen to these calls and hear people talk and, you know, for example, they hear Christopher talk about bridge to Bitcoin and the work they're doing with businesses. Maybe that individual reaches out to Christopher when their business is ready to start to integrate Bitcoin. So it's like, we're kind of doing a bunch of work right now to figure out what is this work um, and to put ourselves out there so that when the world is ready, which it might take a while, but I think in an accelerating world of fiat pain, it's not going to be as long as we think. We're kind of doing a bunch of work to, to grow the soil so that eventually we can plant some seeds and grow some plants. And mm. um, so I, I think we should probably have way more questions than answers, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Veronica, I saw that you had your hand up if you want to say something. Um, yeah, it was just two points. I think um, uh, the one thing when you're talking about um, this is not financial advice. As long as it's on an individual, like uh, consulting basis, one-on-one -on -one or small groups, I think this is not an issue at all. And once we uh, start consulting larger enterprises or small to medium enterprises, I think this can, you no know, one should maybe put an emphasis on really, um, yeah, communicating that. Um, but at the moment, I think we're a bit... Um, away from that and the second thing is i think it was that plotsy who was saying that um most of the people when they're looking at bitcoin for them it is they don't really get what it's about and they only see it from um an investment perspective um that is uh that is true that is also my my impression in the beginning and what i noticed recently when i'm i was recently for example at a bank uh, giving a lecture for like 15 people um, and one of the main issues was the whole energy topic so I can really advise like or I think all of us depending on whom we target but even on an individual basis it might make sense to dig into the core energy um, thesis a little bit to um yeah be able to answer in a in a proper way on that because when i was for example giving this lecture people they were hanging at my lips they were just like what can we do right now with bitcoin and once it got to the energy topic they got very um this was the first time they kind of became skeptical because they didn't want to be put neither in the company nor on an individual basis as like a climate change promoter, burning the oceans kind of thing. So even on an individual reputational basis, I think they got turned off a little bit. So yeah, definitely whomever starts to become more active in the whole um, Bitcoin consulting um, sphere, I think it makes sense to definitely be prepared for the energy topic. David, go for it. 
Yeah, I just wanted to respond to uh, Veronica. Thanks for that reference. I'm glad to hear other people face the same issues. The um, And I would just expand slightly to say it's not just the size of the company, but it's also the money, the amount of money you're dealing with. Because I, yeah. as Caribou said, um, it's absolutely financial advice. And the size and the quantity that we're dealing with yeah, will have an impact whether even though it's all correct at the end of the day people will find something wrong with it and if if it's a material amount uh, just be ready on on the reverse when they come back to you someone else earlier in the call said something about complaints when things go wrong it's definitely a part of it so um, to the aspect of having this group as a resource for support in terms of that Hey, it's financial advice and we have qualified people who can back up what I say. That's great. I think we should absolutely tap that. Um, the second piece that Veronica mentioned about energy. Yeah, that's I, I'm, I'm, I'm deep into the energy field. Finance and energy both have a lot of similarities in the way that the general world doesn't understand what really happens behind the scenes in money. And they don't have a lot of understanding what happens behind the scenes in electricity. So to those of us who have done the research and understand a bit more about electricity and can share that with this group, uh, I think that'd be worthwhile of a, of a topic in the future. Uh, Caribou. Go for it, Santosh. Just wanted to echo what David just mentioned about uh, the words an individual associates with Bitcoin is very telling about their understanding. So, David mentioned about investing. It's a great word, which immediately tells me how they view Bitcoin. Now, I just before I hopped on the call, I was eating and I met this new individual at the dinner table. And she said, what do you do? I said, well, I help uh, people understand Bitcoin. I'm a Bitcoin educator. And she said, oh, OK, so you uh, trade Bitcoin and uh, you find opportunities. And I was I was probably the absolute opposite of what I had explained, but that's how she retorted, which was the surprise to me. And that told me exactly how she viewed Bitcoin. And we talked about this in the podcast about the white paper. The day when Bitcoin is associated with save and spend, we're got a long way to, or save, spend and earn, sorry. When we start associating Bitcoin with those three words, we know it's moving towards a form of payment and being able to exchange value. And on the energy topic, again, totally agree. When I've held the board on the streets, people always scream, ah, oh, it's a scam. Oh, it uses too much energy. And recently when I was in Jordan, I was holding the board at Petra. And this individual didn't seem American, but um, he said, oh, Bitcoin uses too much energy. Why are you holding the sign? And I said, well, do you know how much energy the U.S. government uses or the banking system uses? And he retorted with, oh, only a third of what Bitcoin utilizes. And I was just about to go counter his statement, but he was in a golf cart going back to the entrance. So I knew there was no point in even retorting to that statement. I don't know if any of you have seen the Bitcoin Mining Council uh, reports. I'll drop it in the chat. I was actually looking at it a couple of days ago. They have one for H1 2023. It gives a really good comparison of the different industries and its energy usage. Don't quote me on the exact numbers, but if I remember correctly, AC alone uses 
something like 6,000 terawatt hours, whereas Bitcoin mining, I believe, is somewhere in the just a few hundreds. Is it three, four hundreds? So if Bitcoin mining is evil, so is running our AC almost 30 times as evil. Uh, I may I probably will create some content related to energy because it's the hot topic anytime people start talking about Bitcoin usage is, oh, it uses too much energy when such a false narrative. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think, um, I can't remember who mentioned it. It was the um, Dan Roberts, I think from Iris Energy kind of just said, you know, if people, if people are using energy for something, they value it. And, you know, if something's, you, you know, if people don't value something, they're not going to use a whole lot of energy. You won't have to worry about it. And I think the energy part of how much energy Bitcoin uses is such a false flag because it's a simple way to make someone doubt Bitcoin that preys on them not understanding anything about energy dynamics or um, quantities of energy used by different things by humanity, right? Like the idea that Christmas lights each year, the amount of energy that Christmas lights use each year compared to the amount of energy that, uh, you know, a sound ledger for humanity's money uses. Like people, just, it's such an easy way to FUD Bitcoin. And oftentimes I just bring it back to say, you know, if you think using energy is bad, then you shouldn't use a hairdryer. You shouldn't use a, a washing machine or a dryer to dry your clothes. You shouldn't put Christmas lights up, you know, but I think at the end of the day, I'm just, oftentimes I try and find a way to judo myself, you know, mentally judo myself out of the energy conversation and bring it back to the importance of scarce money and the damage that fiat money is doing, because it really is what I realized is the amount of knowledge someone needs to really understand the energy dynamics of Bitcoin and the lack of desire people have to actually put in the work makes it so that's almost an unwinnable battle. And I find it helpful just to bring it back to the fundamentals of why fiat is stealing time from people and to move away from the energy conversation. That's just my opinion. Matt, I think you're up next. Hey, yeah. So just to follow on to that, I think the Bitcoin mining reports are they're really interesting. When I was really when I was learning about Bitcoin in the beginning, I spent a lot of time. Uh, I would watch those those full videos, and uh, yeah, it just really shed some light on the reality of these claims that are made against Bitcoin for the energy usage. But w once you break it down, it's just so it's so poorly represented and it, it it doesn't make sense and 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 when you when you start going down that path um of deciding how energy should be used i think that opens the door to a a really deep discussion because really if people are willing like you said before if people are willing to pay they should have the right to do that who's to decide what is good energy usage especially with the things like uh you know I, I just think the Bitcoin mining report breaks it down and, and you can get a lot of valuable stuff uh, from there. Um, and and so then going back to the initial thing, uh, I think as consultants, if you're out doing talks for Bitcoin, something really interesting to have could just, just be like a list of top 10 FUD busters. You know, we're going to come up against this time and time again, the the same concerns that, that really don't have a, a solid basis but that's what's been spread out that's the, the general understanding and people have not gone far enough to understand that it's not 
the truth. So maybe uh, that could be something like a common resource between this network is we we curate like a top 10 uh, FUD busting uh, resources that we can refer to to be prepared for this because inevitably it's going to happen as we spend more time doing this. That's One it. of the top resources that I've used is called endthefud.org. And it's essentially a curated subset of the best articles debunking Bitcoin FUD, and it's really well curated. So endthefud.org, I highly recommend that. And just to say one thing um, before you go, Christopher, kind of had two thoughts. Number one, just an, on back to the notion of liability. I think if we're really teaching people to think for themselves and to think from first principles, it negates a lot of the, you know, if you're telling people what to do or think, it creates a liability because if something goes wrong, you could be at fault. If you're helping people think for themselves, then you're automatically saying, I'm not taking responsibility for your decisions. I'm simply helping you think for yourself instead of believing what others are saying that might be harming you long-term. So I think if we always really keep in our minds, help people think for themselves, help people educate themselves, help them think from first principles so they can make better decisions. It's almost like the same philosophy of, I always try and avoid telling people to buy Bitcoin. I instead try and understand what do they know about money? And if they can understand money from first principles and understand the properties of money, they can then make an evaluation of what is good money and what is bad money. They don't have to believe me when I say Bitcoin is good money and better money than fiat. They can understand from first principles what actually fundamentally makes a money good or bad, and then they can make their own educated decisions. So I think when we teach people to think for themselves, we negate a lot of liability. And then the second point I just wanted to mention was, um, for me, consulting work really revolves around having good conversations with individuals or teams, if we're talking about a company, and trying to really find blind spots. Um, it's not about telling people what what they should know or think. It's what are your blind spots related to Bitcoin that are creating an obstacle for you moving forward in your adoption path, and then presenting resources to allow them to to kind of patch that understanding and fill the blind spots. So I think the the notion that maybe one of the most important um, roles of a Bitcoin consultant, at least in, in my kind of opinion, is resource curation, is really having a, a, a good library of resources so that when you have conversations and, and you ask the right questions to understand where is this, where are the gaps of understanding that this person or this team has, having a resource on hand in your tool belt to say, boom, here's the, here, read this, watch this, listen to this podcast. There's so much out there. And I think so much being out there is part of the overwhelm where people simply don't know where to go, right? If you look up Bitcoin podcasts, you know, there's in the, in the sea of Bitcoin resources, I think there's orders of magnitude, more good resources out there today than there used to be. At least when I first got into it, you know, six, seven years ago, there was virtually nothing. There was uh, Antonopoulos's books and some talks, but there was very little. Now there's so much that actually the hard part is not finding Bitcoin resources. It's finding the right Bitcoin resource. And again, if, if we are doing the work of scouring the interwebs to find really high signal, high quality resources for every level of understanding, then we essentially can curate this sort of library um, and be able to send people the right resource for the right stage that they're at to patch up their blind spot so they can keep moving forward, right? It's not us telling them what to think. 
it's us pointing to the right spot to go so that they continue their journey. So I just wanted to put those nuggets in there and uh, Christopher, go for it. Scarabu. Um, yeah, just to segue nicely in what I wanted to drop in. Um, when we come across um, ESG objections, I like to cite KPMG for those who aren't aware um, they recently released a paper on Bitcoin and the environmental impacts it has. Um, essentially, the TLDR is Bitcoin is a net positive for achieving ESG aims globally. And I think that's a wonderful resource to, to read if you haven't, and also a wonderful one to cite because KPMG are one of the major, they're one of the big four global accountancy firms. Um, so it's sort of coming from a coming from a big fiat heavyweight, if you like, giving Bitcoin a thumbs up from an ESG perspective. Um, so that's a great one. What I'll do is I'll put that in the um, in the chat so you can all click on the link if you haven't come across that before. Awesome. Thanks for that. And I think for um, business businesses, one of the um, resources that I always recommend and put as sort of like prerequisite reading before I move forward with um, with further discussions is Bitcoin first, um, the paper by Fidelity, um, is just such a good by Fidelity digital assets it's called Bitcoin first. It's available as a PDF. It's 26 pages, high signal that one. And then the other one for people who are actually serious about understanding Bitcoin is a paper called positioning for the Bitcoin boom. Um, and that's by tour, uh, Demister. Uh, from adamant research that's also available online if you look up positioning for the bitcoin boom and i think for me it's like a couple really potent um long form pdfs for people who are willing to put in you know half an hour to an hour of reading and really to deeply understand it it's like there's already really high signal resources out there again the work of a consultant at least the way i view it is just matching the resource to the person and to the place they're at um, and making sure that they have all the tools they need to keep kind of trotting forward on their journey. And I often frame it in the same way as health, where health is not a destination you get to, it's a process you engage with. And I think with understanding Bitcoin, uh, one thing I always make sure to tell people is like, Bitcoin is not a place you get to. It's a, it's a process you engage with consistently. And the more of your wealth there is in Bitcoin, the more motivation you'll inevitably end up having to consistently engage with that process. Um, and I think just emphasizing that and making sure people know like, oh, I just wanna learn this so that I can do the thing and save my money in Bitcoin. It's like, no, 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 this is, a, this is something you actually have to continuously be up to date on. Not only is it changing, but as the amount of wealth that you have in Bitcoin changes, as um, Bitcoin continues repricing the world in fiat terms, you're going to have these moments where it's almost like the anxiety and the concern and the discomfort will build as the amount of wealth you have in Bitcoin increases until you kind of re-up the education or the understanding side of things. Um, and in my opinion, when people own Bitcoin and they're anxious about it, it simply highlights a mismatch between their understanding and their confidence with the protocol on how to use it and how to wield that energy and the amount of their wealth that they have in Bitcoin. And so it's really just, yeah understanding what resources are required for the right person at the right time. That's not necessarily an easy problem to solve, but I think that's largely the work of a consultant, not necessarily saying you must do this or do this thing. It's more, well, what do you know about it? What are your concerns? Where are you at in your journey? Where do you want to go to? How fast do you want to get there? 
okay, now that I know all that, I'm going to go into my kind of resource library, pluck a few things out, send them, and basically say, contact me when you're done reading that. Uh, don't contact me until you're done reading that <laughs> because, you know, you must do the work. Uh, I think that's just a really important point to kind of nail in on. So I think uh, we got 23 minutes left. So unless there's anything else on that topic, let's talk about the notion of an oath of honor. Uh, and this is something that I think is going to be just a constantly developing topic. Uh, and I think something that we should make an effort to talk about each time we gather. And really just this, the, the concept is collectively creating sort of a code of conduct, um, code of conduct that we can hold ourselves to and hold each other to. And, you know, I think if we're sort of bound by honor to fulfill our obligation to act in the best interest of Bitcoin and then and in the best interest of our clients, we should create, I think it would serve us well to create sort of this consensus list of um, tenets that we all kind of radically align with that we hold ourselves to and that we hold each other to. And I think the notion of a web of trust means that if someone breaches this oath, um, then there's repercussions. I don't know what those repercussions are. If we have a landing page and we list everyone who's part of the web of trust, maybe they get removed from that. I don't know, but I think it's good to form a clear aspiration that we can all work to live up to. Um, so Santosh, I know you wanted to kind of share thoughts on that. Um, and then if anyone else has thoughts to share, I invite you up after Santosh or after student of Bitcoin chats and I'll share my thoughts as well. Um, so go for it. Thanks, Caribou. So I didn't want to provide any long lists or values. So I'll start off with some personal tenants that I try to follow. I don't use the word crypto. I hate it. Anytime someone sends, says it, I cringe. I don't mention price or exchange rate. I try to avoid that conversation as well because I don't want to be bucket, bucketed with the speculators and uh, the ones that are just fighting around. So exchange rate and price is not part of my Bitcoin vocabulary. I don't usually mention the words invest, buy, or sell. Uh, I stick to save, earn, and spend. And usually that is, I get interesting reactions when I use those three verbs, but I like to stick to those. And if I had to make it extremely simple of what oath we can all agree upon, which I hope doesn't uh, encounter too much friction would be we all strive to enable Bitcoin as the de facto standard to exchange value amongst one another. I really like that. Very, very clean, clear. Um, yeah, that's a really good one. And just to add a few uh, of my thoughts, I agree. I I always am very clear with people saying I focus on Bitcoin only, nothing else. Uh, I don't even sort of entertain, you know, questions that they have about other stuff. I basically say I have no opinions to share on anything except for Bitcoin. Um, I always strive to empower my clients with education. I promote self custody, um, and. Yeah, I think I think another thing that's important is main is the notion of really maintain and maybe this is just a given for us all, but really honoring client privacy and confidentiality sort of at all costs, uh, I think is super important. And the last sort of tenant that I think is important is as a student of Bitcoin, I've got a regular learning practice. I think that's something that, 
if we can all be honest with ourselves and really have, uh, you know, and all be literally students of Bitcoin and know that, you know, if we can only bring people as far as we've gone, we should always be striving to go further and deeper in our understanding. And um, yeah, I think there's a lot of, you know, I did a little bit of reading about the Samurai Bushido. They had this code of virtues um, that they would share in Samurai culture. And um, yeah, I just think there's something, there's something to having just a clear, um, you know, I don't know if oath is the best word, but just a clear aspiration that we can all really uh, resonate with deeply and make sure that all of our actions align with uh, sort of respecting that oath and reminding ourselves uh, of that on a regular basis. So thanks for those thoughts, Santosh. So the last thing I want to share, if there's no one with any more thoughts about that, and obviously that'll be an ongoing thing. We can bring it to the Telegram group and put suggestions there. Um, but the idea of creating a landing page for the Bitcoin Consulting Network, and maybe this is not a topic we have to dive super deeply into today, but I was just wondering people's thoughts on creating um, a landing page where we can list like our name, a little bio, a link to our services and sort of curate uh, something on the internet that, um, I mean, we kind of have that as the Google doc, which is more of an internal thing for us to be able to access that within the Bitcoin consulting network. But the idea that perhaps there would be value in something public facing so that people can find a consultant if they um, need help. Maybe we're a bit early on this, but um, yeah. Any thoughts on that? The idea of a, landing page, a website that features people who are part of the web of trust, um, and even thoughts related to how do we actually confirm that people are part of the web of trust? Um, and yeah, go for it, Veronica. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if we should have all the consultants listed on the website and such. I mean, we could do that, but maybe um, also just a, a website or a blog at least. Um, where maybe some of us can also write blog articles that we get a little bit of like reach and then seeing if there is some inbound. But yeah, I mean, uh, then it would be uh, a task to figure first of all who receives the inbound and then who kind of triggers which of us could do the job um but yeah basically a, a place where we can start writing about certain consulting related bitcoin topics for merchants for small and medium enterprises for individuals um and such yeah i like that idea of being able to curate writing from different people in the consulting network maybe that's a better option than trying to do a landing page to feature. I mean, I figured this was probably a little bit premature. I think if we continue doing these monthly calls um, together, we'll kind of figure out the best way to put ourselves out there into the world. I think it's still very early um, and the world largely doesn't realize that what we can help with is necessarily important yet. Um, Chandran, you mentioned we could use GPG to create an actual web of trust. I'd love for you to speak on that or unpack that. I'm not familiar with GPG. 
can unmute you. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Go for it. Yeah, so uh, GPG is this uh, uh, encryption and signing tool that uh, was created for emails uh, back in the day uh, when email spam was just becoming a thing. Um, and it's also used, uh, for instance, when uh, for signing uh, binaries of Bitcoin wallets if you don't compile them yourself and you want to make sure that they're authored by the actual um, developer, um, you can um, verify their signatures before installing their binaries. Um, so and yeah, the, I think the word term web of trust comes from the GPG space um, uh, where people used to like meet physically and sign each other's keys or verify each other's keys in order to um, basically make sure they were communicating with who they thought they were communicating. And in times of AI and stuff that becomes increasingly relevant. And uh, if we're talking about a web of trust, we might as well just use GPG uh, to verify each other and ourselves. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And it was actually something Ben had mentioned early on using private keys to sort of create a web of trust in some way. And yeah, even if it wasn't necessarily meeting in person, but every time one of us has a conversation with another individual in the consulting network and can kind of verify that we're actually speaking to the person we think we're speaking to, um, that could be something we use eventually. So nothing really to execute right now, but maybe something to continue being mindful of. Yeah. Um, thanks for, thanks for that. And I know Ben, you can't talk, but if you want to type a message, I'd love to know out of curiosity, you know, the, when you put that first message out into the interwebs, uh, you know, how you envisioned this project going, what value you thought this could bring and what pain point it filled for you, which I believe was finding other consultants that you can refer to or refer work to that you don't currently have the bandwidth to handle or to find people whose scope of practice uh, is maybe in a different wheelhouse. Like I think you had mentioned legal um, or whatnot. So I'd love to know, how is it going compared to what you had envisioned uh, initially? And is there a way that we can kind of recalibrate the direction or change how we're doing things um, to, to generate more value within this group for the people who are here and also, you know, for the external world eventually. So um, I'm not sure if you're still listening, but if you want to type up a few words, or maybe this is something we can just bring to the telegram group, but, and even just to close off, because I think it's probably, that's probably good for today. If anyone has any suggestions or ideas um, of how we can, yeah, just create more value for us all. Uh, I'm gonna continue doing these monthly gatherings. I would love for people to send me topic ideas um, for points to discuss and uh, just conversations to riff on, important points related to the work of Bitcoin consulting, or like I said before, um, even doing rounds where we're sharing, you know, while keeping the clients that we work with confidential, sharing some of the work that we're doing um, and how we're doing it, how we're billing for our time, how the execution was, what challenges we faced. I think just sharing experiences is probably a good way to level up the whole group. Um, ben wrote in the chat, I deliberately didn't have too many expectations. I think perhaps I expected us to be doing something a little bit more formally like website plans, but didn't necessarily want those things, just expected them. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so I think over time, things will materialize and sort of develop. Um, 
I'm in no rush. This is certainly a low time preference ever for me. Uh, ben also said, I'm very happy with how things are going. I've had a few smaller one-on-one -on -one calls with several people from here and we'll be asking again soon, probably on Telegram, about a location-specific need I have for sharing some work with someone. Awesome. So yeah, I think as time goes on, we have more opportunities to engage and interact, share ideas, develop almost a familiarity with each other. Uh, we'll probably feel a little bit more confident to cross-refer work and clients um, compared to just sending them from a, to a stranger who we might not be familiar with. And uh, yeah, I think being here is proof of work. Thank you all for your energy and attention. And uh, unless anyone's got anything to say before we sign off, I think I'll end it there. So I'll give it a few seconds, see if anyone chimes in. Great call, thanks for the call. Yep, thanks a lot, everyone. Awesome. Thanks everyone thanks who contributed. It. <laughs> no worries. Um, yeah, thank you. This was very informative. Awesome. And again, just chime into the Telegram group. If there's anything you want to talk about on December 21st, I'll coordinate that one as well. I usually send invites out uh, a couple weeks before. Um, yeah, thanks for being here, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you're listening to this podcast, much love and uh, wishing you all a great week. Ciao.